What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for starting off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a sports ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Those are the two accounts where we post out all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content. We're going to continue to do that throughout the offseason, so make sure you are following specifically at EthosFantasyBB. We are hiring people right now who will be producing content throughout the offseason, podcasts, articles, Twitter stuff. So please do make sure you're following at EthosFantasyBB and hit me up if you want to be one of those people who might be producing content for us next season. We're looking for writers, podcasters. Hit me up if it's something that you would be interested in entering into the sports and fantasy sports industry. But today, we are going to continue our position review. We're going to go through first base. I'm going to talk a little bit before we really get started about the playoffs this weekend. I'm going to force myself to talk about it. You guys know, maybe some of you don't, that I am from Toronto. A lifelong diehard Blue Jays fan, and it was a very tough weekend to say the least. We will touch on that a little bit. It's going to be the first baseman show today, so we'll talk about Vladdy aside from that as well. But, you know, let's just start off with talking about how some of these matchups went over the weekend. So the Guardians, they swept the Rays. That second game was crazy. I was going out to a friend's house to watch the Blue Jays game, and I was watching as much of the Rays and Guardians as I could. And it got to the ninth, was it the bottom of the, no, I think it was the 10th inning. It got to the 10th inning. And then I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to my friend's house. Uh, I'm not waiting around for this. I don't want to miss the start of the Blue Jay game. I get to the buddy's house, you know, we're having a couple drinks. We're sitting around and we realize like, Jesus, it's the 13th inning over there. They're still going on. And the game just kept going and going and going. I know a lot of people aren't crazy about those kind of games. I can understand for the average fan, uh, 11 hits in 15 innings is not exactly what you maybe went out to the ballpark for. You brought your kids, but I think it's a nice change of pace. We're used to seeing a lot more runs, pitchers not lasting so long in the games. I mean, Tyler Glass now hasn't been back for very long. He still went five innings in this one. And on the other side, Tristan McKenzie, six beautiful innings from him. So this was actually kind of a fun one to watch. I didn't see the last couple of innings. Obviously, I saw the highlights of the walk-off home run. Uh, But I had my attention focused on the Blue Jays. Why don't we just get into it now? I needed to have a buffer there before starting about the Blue Jays. But let's just talk about these these damn Blue Jays. So Friday, not a good game. Manoa had a bad first inning. He settled down very nicely after that first inning, but it was kind of too late for the Blue Jays at that point. They couldn't get anything going against Luis Castillo and uh, Andres Munoz, who were both just absolutely lights out. It stings because I was a big Munoz guy all year in fantasy. I had him on a lot of teams. I thought he was a great guy to have uh, in your bullpen, even though he wasn't really giving you any saves. He was a great fantasy asset. He really screwed my boys over this weekend. He had a great outing on Friday, and then he came back out there again on Saturday, uh, and he threw, what was it, another inning shutout ball. And the Saturday game was just uh, a heartbreaker for the Blue Jays. We were up 8-1. to one. We took out, for whatever reason, we removed Kevin Gosman from the game uh, after five and two-thirds. I kind of understand it, but at the same time, you know, he was kind of getting into a groove. He was at 95 pitches. He could have gone one more batter probably. Uh, Tim Meza came in, and that was kind of the beginning of the end for the Blue Jays there, really, that shortened it to 8-5. And then it was just, you know, you can kind of tell, I don't know if it's just my years as a Toronto sports fan being conditioned to this kind of thing, but you can kind of tell it was over at that point. So congratulations to the Mariners. They did their job. Uh, We certainly did not do our jobs in Toronto. Now, what will happen for next year? Not really too sure. Hopefully they bring in some more pitching left-handed bats, whatever the hell it's going to be. It's, it's, it's lost on me at this point what this team really needs. Uh, the bullpen, they reinforced the bullpen, and you know those reinforcements failed us. Uh, the lineup, getting shut out in the first game, not great. The second game, yeah, nine runs is very good. But you know we still had guys like Boba Shett, he went one for four. Uh, Vlad went one for four. And, 
you can't really get so mad about those kind of lines. You know, one for four is not terrible. But when you're following that up, like when that comes off of a 0 for 4, 1 for 4 kind of game, no runs, no RBIs, you, you kind of hope for more clutch performances in the playoffs from your, from your main dude. So a little bit disappointing. Maybe they'll shake some things up. Not really sure exactly what will happen. But we'll move on. We'll talk about the Cardinals and the Phillies. So the Phillies swept the Cardinals two games to none. This is particularly brutal for St. Louis because that first game, they went into the ninth inning, they were up 2 nothing, And then Ryan Helsley, who had given up, I think, nine earned runs all season, allowed four earned runs in that ninth inning. Just absolutely brutal. Not something you can really predict at all for them. They come out and they lose the next game 2-0. Uh, they got sent home on the basis of our, or on the base on the backing of an Aaron Nola, six and two thirds, four hits, six strikeout performance. It was just it's tough uh, to see the careers of Pujols and Yadi and maybe Wainwright end on that kind of note. You figured that these guys were going to make a little bit more of a run. I did anyway. Uh, my predictions were brutal. I put up my predictions on Twitter and I got all out. You guys can go see it. I'm not going to delete it or anything. Every single <laughs> wild card series I predicted wrong. Awful stuff. It's terrible. I thought St. Louis would win for sure. I thought St. Louis was going to move on. Their pitching wasn't as strong, but I had a lot more faith in their lineup, being at home. You know, Helsley specifically is one guy that came, comes to mind when you're thinking of who they're going to, you know, go to in the eighth, ninth inning. The guy's been so elite. But that's the thing with baseball playoffs. We've talked about this in terms of how it relates to head-to-head even. You know, shit happens. Sometimes you're the best team in the league. Not that the Cardinals were, but sometimes you're a great team, and you just can't get it done in the playoffs. And that kind of thing does happen. Uh, it's it's awful to see Pujols' career end like that. Same with Yachty. But uh, they had a great run, right? They had a great run. Uh, they got to have one more magical season here together where Pujols broke the record, not broke the record, but broke 700 home runs. Uh, it was really, really a cool year. And even Wayno was pretty good. I know he kind of tailed off now during, ah, excuse me, tailed off near the end of the season. But still, uh, you know, if this is the last we see of Wainwright, it's not like he went out, you know, with a 7-5 ERA or some some brutality like that. He wasn't too bad. So, you know, there is some positives to grow, uh, to take away from there in St. Louis. They got a nice young team still. They got a lot of good prospects. So it's not the end of the world for them. They'll be back. Let's talk about this last series, though. This one was probably the most interesting. It was the only one that wasn't a sweep. The Padres and the Mets. The first game was 7-1 Padres. Not very good stuff out of Max Scherzer. He allowed four uh, home runs. It was ugly, really ugly stuff for Max Scherzer. And on the other side, he just got outperformed by Yu Darvish. He went seven innings, six hits, uh, four strikeouts. The second game, the Mets came back. They won seven to three. Blake Snell had a bit of a rough outing. And I mean, a bit of a rough outing. He walked six batters. He allowed two earned runs. Didn't make it out of the fourth. Not great stuff. On the other side, DeGrom was pretty good. And it wasn't classic DeGrom, though. Five hits, two earned runs, and a homer while walking two. Still very good. And then there was the weird Edwin Diaz coming out in the seventh inning decision. Uh, I don't know, it seemed to work out. They won that game. And then yesterday was really where we had some weird shit going on. Uh, I'm sure most of you guys saw this already, but if you didn't, Joe Musgrove was absolutely dealing. He ended up going seven innings, allowed one hit, one walk, and struck out five. He was absolutely dominant. I believe it was the sixth inning, fifth or sixth inning, Buck Showalter calls for a check on Musgrove because he's got some shiny stuff on his ear. And I think, honestly, they were just getting dominated, and it was kind of a desperate last-ditch effort to try and, you know, I don't know what they thought was going to happen, you know, get him kicked out of the game maybe, but at that point you're already down by, what was the score in the sixth inning by that point? It was like 4 nothing already in the sixth inning. Uh, I mean, I know I saw Nick Pollock tweeted on, on Twitter. Do you think if they did hypothetically find sticky stuff, they should replay the game or just move on from there? Uh, it's, it's a very tough call even if they did find stuff on him. They didn't. They didn't find anything on Joe Musgrove. Now, there was some shininess with his ears. Some people say it was Vaseline on his ears. 
Vaseline wouldn't increase your spin rate. It would actually, you know, make it less. It would it would make the ball not spin as much. And it's something that's been done by pitchers in the past, but he had an increased spin rate last night of over, I think it was like 100 RPM uh, plus on most of his pitches. So if he's using Vaseline, that there's not much of a correlation there. It was weird shit. Anyway, the Mets ended up losing. They look like a bit of a joke today, I got to be honest with you. Uh, but you got to feel like the Mets are just going to go out there and spend like absolute gangbusters in the offseason. Like they're going to just, you know, they're going to make an offer for Judge. I'd be surprised if they didn't. They're probably going to make an offer for Trey Turner. They're going to go after all of these top big free agents. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they didn't. The pitching staff, we're going to see if DeGrom comes back. Uh, I know DeGrom can leave, will possibly will leave. I'm not really sure there. I don't expect Steve Cohen to let these guys just walk away. I'm sure he'll throw blank checks at a lot of these guys. Maybe Aaron Judge gets five, $600 million. I don't even know what it's going to be exactly, but I saw some people saying on Twitter, and I kind of agree that this might not be the worst case scenario for the Mets. I mean, if DeGrom leaves or whatever, that's not great. But I think they can still build on this. And like Steve Cohen has the deepest pockets of any owner in baseball. So he will not just sit by and let this kind of thing happen year after year, I don't think. After 101 wins, I think they're the first ever 100-plus win team to not make it out of the wild card or to lose in the wild card round. It's it's not good. It's not good. I don't expect that to continue, though. I think that he'll probably go out there, get them some reinforcements. If some leave, then he'll just keep spending. He'll just keep spending and spending until he gets himself a World Series. I think that that's probably what's going to happen here with, with New York. I'm not so worried. On the other side with San Diego... This is very good for those of you who, like me, are kind of interested in drafting Fernando Tatis Jr. next season because every game that they play, it just takes a game off of what he'll have to miss next season. And according to Kevin Ace, he is a beat writer for the Padres. So his return as of right now, uh, he could play April 27th in Chicago. If he's playing in April, if he's playing April 27th, then there's no way that he is slipping past round two of a fantasy league. Uh, I tweeted that out this morning. I think that that's completely reasonable. You know, he's going to not go in the first round because of that month miss. But when you factor in all the games that people miss throughout the regular season anyway, most of your guys going to play 130 to 150 games. If Tatis is going to miss 20, 25 games, still puts him right in that conversation to be a first rounder for next season. So I think, especially, let's say the Padres win another round. Let's say they go to the championship series. Then we're going to be talking about a return on April 20th or something like that. Like, man, it's just going to keep pushing up his draft stock every every single game that they keep winning. So it's good news for them. It's good news for the Padres who keep who keep winning. And I mean, you got to feel kind of happy for them because it looked like shit. Their moves at the deadline. Soto did not do particularly well. Josh Hader did not do well at all. And now, you know, things are looking kind of bright for them. We'll see what happens in this next series. We're going to have the Sports Ethos Wagering Team on in the next couple of days. We're going to talk about some betting odds and futures that you want to look at for the playoffs. Just talk about the landscape of these particular series and going forward what they think. So we'll get more in depth into the next round series, probably tomorrow, maybe the day after. I do want to spend most of our time today, though, talking about first baseman, how they perform this year, where I generally think they'll go next season. And I've got some ADP data from Yahoo and from the NFBC to just compare with how these guys are ranked. And I think I'm going to probably get through about 10 first basemen today. There are some guys who are eligible at first who we're going to not talk about because they don't really play first that much. Um, JT Realmuto, big example. We talked about him on Thursday when we did our catcher show. Austin Riley is another one we won't really be talking about because he's more of a third baseman. Brandon Drury, I think I'm going to put him into the second base category because he's eligible everywhere. Uh, you can really throw him anywhere. But there's some guys who you might see me pass over if you're following at home on your own rankings. It's just because they're more primarily, uh, they play another position more often than they play first base. So that is why 
but we will get it kicked off here. We'll start with Paul Goldschmidt. He was the number one first baseman on the season. He was a number three ranked player in terms of everybody, only behind Aaron Judge and Justin Verlander. He had 106 runs, 35 homers, 115 ribbies, seven steals, and a 317 batting average. Should be noted that down the stretch here this last month, he wasn't great. He was 16 for 66, which is a 242 batting average, no home runs, and just one stolen base. Not that great down the stretch here. Uh, I want to take a look at where he was being drafted. On the NFBC, it was at 48. Over on Yahoo, it was 44. So he well outperformed his draft pick for this season. But it will lead, of course, to an increase in where he's being drafted next season. Paul Goldschmidt just turned 35 years old a month ago. I'm a little worried that we'll continue to see these steals kind of fall off a little bit. 12 last year, 7 this year. Maybe we see 4 next season. I'm not really sure. He used to be like a 20 plus. I think he actually stole 30 bases one season. And that was a huge part of his value in Arizona. The fact that he had power and speed and average all from first base. Now this season, uh, it's a good chance that he's going to walk away with the NL MVP. I think he probably deserves it. I think he probably deserved it a couple times in Arizona. So he'll probably get it here. It'll probably be made up to him. And not even just a makeup. I think he's, he's earned it. But I also think that that's going to really push his draft price up next season. We're probably going to see him going in the... I could see him going late second. I could, I could really see that. Now, everything that I say now in terms of ADP stuff, it's a complete guess. I haven't actually put pen to paper on projections. These are roughly what I'm thinking of a guy. I'm thinking of roughly how far up they're going to move based on last year, based on ADP, based on performance. I think I could see Paul Goldschmidt jumping up about 15, 17 spots from that 44 going at the end of the second round, maybe between pick 25, let's say between 25 and 35. So depending on your league size, second, third round pick. Uh, We've talked about this throughout the season, about how deep first base is. You don't really need to reach on a first baseman. It's not like, you know, certain positions like, I mean, catcher, you can kind of go for one of those top guys or take a shot down the end. Like we talked about on Thursday and Friday, there's two or three elite catchers, maybe four, and then there's a bit of a drop-off. With first baseman, there's not really such a precipitous drop-off. You're looking at, I mean, 15 of the top 100 players, roughly 12, 15 of them were first basemen. So you don't have to go and grab Goldschmidt in the second round or the third round because you need first base production. That wouldn't be the argument to make. Maybe you just like Goldschmidt. Maybe you figure he can provide five-category value roughly. And he he can, but, you know, I'm really not going to be buying in to the same kind of season we're going to keep seeing over and over again here. Now, he's a great player, Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, he has a borderline Hall of Fame case, I would say. But I don't think we can keep expecting this year after year. This year was like the best year that he's had in maybe five, six years, specifically for batting average. 317 was the highest he's been since 2015. Uh, 35 homers. He's always been in that 30 to 35 kind of range, so that's nothing crazy. But the steals are not going to be there. I, I don't think the steals are going to continue to be there as he gets older. There's no point in risking your body. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's played a lot of games in his career. Very durable guy. Uh, every year, just going back, let's go back to 2015. So 159 games, 158, 155, 158, 161. And then the lockout shortened year, he played 58 out of 60 games. Last year, 158. The year before, 151. The dude's never missing more than five or six games, which could be seen as a plus, but I do see that also as a, you know, I hate to try and forecast an injury, but a guy who's always playing all these games, 35 years old, stealing bases, 
it is really, I think, a lot riskier than we're going to be thinking about it as next season. Uh, poorly phrased, but I think you guys know what I'm saying. I think it'll be a little bit too risky to draft Paul Goldschmidt where he is being drafted. St. Louis should still be a good team. He shouldn't be a bust, I don't think, but maybe at ADP he does turn into a bust. The number three ranked player for Paul Goldschmidt, it was an outlier. It was absolutely an outlier. This is something that he would have done five, seven years ago, and it wouldn't have been a surprise, but at this point in his career... Expecting a repeat next season is probably going to be too risky for me. If he's still going in that 45 to 50 range, I'd probably take a shot. You know, if he's in your fourth round pick, it's not such a big deal. If he's your second round pick, even third, I'm going to be a little bit too cautious, I think, there to draft Paul Goldschmidt. But let's move on. Let's talk about the number two ranked player this season in terms of first baseman. And he was very close behind Paul Goldschmidt. He was the number four ranked player overall, and it was Freddie Freeman. What a season Freddie Freeman had. I mean, the home runs were not quite as high as we would have hoped for, only 21 of them. But, I mean, the rest of the production. He had 117 runs. He drove in 100. He stole 13 bases, and he batted 325. You cannot ask for any more than that from Freddie Freeman. He was picked 12.9 on Yahoo. We'll call it 13. And over on the NFBC, he was 18. I did see him going a lot of the time, closer, especially closer to the season, uh, in the first round, specifically once we knew he was signing with the Dodgers, that shot his ADP up about five or seven spots because I think God, he was kind of a late signing. I forget when it was exactly. I think it was in March. But right after, literally like right after he signed with the Dodgers, we saw people start to invest first-round draft picks in him because it's about as safe of a situation as you can you can have batting in the middle of the Dodger lineup. Now, I think for next season, he'll probably go in roughly the same spot here between 10 and 15, probably depending on your site, depending on your format. A couple of guys who are ahead of him last year who are probably going to fall below him. Uh, I would think that Bo Bichette probably goes below him. Probably Vlad Guerrero, too. I think that one will be kind of close, those two. Uh, Bryce Harper, I think, will probably go a little bit below him. But then you have guys, obviously, like Julio will probably push up ahead of him. Uh, Acuna will be back in that first round next season, I, I would expect, so... I think that there'll be some movement above him, but it'll end up being probably the same uh, general ADP for him. I feel pretty confident about drafting him. Now, he's a couple of years younger than Goldschmidt. I'd feel a little bit better about having him. We've seen the Steels actually been pretty good these last couple of years, uh, eight last year in the 13. The average is obviously great. The lineup is obviously secure as well. And even for Goldschmidt, the lineup is, is fairly secure, I think. I mean, losing Pujols and Molina is not going to be the end of the world. Uh, they, they'll still be fine. But you have more faith in what the Dodgers can do just because they're the Dodgers. Every year, their lineup is ridiculous. They throw a ton of money at people. I would be surprised if, you know, even if they lose Trey Turner, if they don't replace him with, you know, somebody crazy, whether it be Judge or Bogarts or whoever the hell it is. I wouldn't expect them to be lacking offensively. So Freddie Freeman, I think, will be very safe as a first-round pick. I'd prefer to get him as a second-round pick. But if you have to, if you, you know, pick 12 is up and you, you take Freddie Freeman – I'm not going to give you a hard time. If you're on the turn of the first, second round, that'll probably be where he is taken. And, and it makes total sense. If he pushes up into like the top eight or seven, which I doubt, but I, I wouldn't want to take him quite there if I'm going to be drafting a batter in those first few spots. I'm going to go for one of the five category guys like Ramirez, like Turner, um, Jesus, like Julio Rodriguez. Uh, you know, those guys are guys I would want to take ahead of him still because you get more security with the steals. I mean, 13 this year was great, but it was a career high. Will he repeat next year? I don't know. Maybe he'll have six. Maybe he'll have five. Maybe he'll have 20. I, I don't know. It's it's very hard to predict stolen bases year in and year out. But I, I still feel like Freddie Freeman, he's a top two or three fantasy first baseman. There's no real worry with drafting him. 
if you can get yourself, if you can get him in the second round and have somebody else ahead of him on your team, then that would be fantastic. But uh, he's going to be a pretty, pretty damn safe first round pick here for the next or first, maybe second round pick for the next couple of years, uh, I would imagine. Let's talk about Pete Alonzo now. The dude was fantastic as well. He had a fantastic season. He was the seventh overall fantasy player this year, and he was the number one player over the last month. 19 runs, seven homers, 23 RBIs, and two steals over the last month while batting 300. He won you leagues. Simply put, he won you leagues, whether it was season long or head-to-head or whatever you played. Uh, Not season long. I mean roto. If it's roto or head-to-head, whatever it is that you played, Pete Alonso was likely a huge piece of you winning a championship for the whole season. 95 runs, 40 homers, 131 ribbies, five steals, and a 271 average. I think it's pretty cool that he stole two of his five bases in the last month of the season, giving you that bit of an extra championship push. But where he's being drafted, so NFBC, literally the exact same as Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt was 48.72. Alonzo, 48.79. They were literally being drafted in the exact same place. If we go take a look at Yahoo!, he was being drafted as the 51st, 52nd, technically, uh, 51.9 is where he was going. So he will ju- he will definitely jump up next season, probably. Not probably. I mean, he will. He'll be going in those first three rounds, I would say. And I feel very confident about it. The Mets, we talked about it earlier. They're going to spend probably a crazy amount of money this offseason. Steve Cohen is probably, like, fuming mad still this morning. Doubt the dude slept at all last night. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's very pissed off. Uh, First of all, they didn't even have a sellout crowd that last game. Kind of sucks. I mean, just the optics of it kind of suck. I think that he'll just go out there and try and do whatever he can to make this team a bigger draw next season. Even, you know, try and competing with the Yankees in the New York market. I just feel like he'll do whatever he can to make that team better. And even if he just leaves it alone, we just saw Alonzo have a top 10 fantasy season. But I think that he'll do a lot more than just leave it alone. You know, if he doesn't get Judge or Turner or one of the other big free agents, I think that he'll still make some splashes offensively. Maybe they lose to Grom. Even if they do, that doesn't hurt Alonzo. So I'm very confident in the Mets in the way that their offense is headed going these next couple of years. Pete Alonzo should still be an absolutely fine third-round pick. If he's getting pushed up into round two, that's where I'd be a little bit nervous. The average is not going to be the greatest. He's not going to steal a lot of bases for you. So in round two... I'd be a little more cautious uh, in round three. If once you're getting into that range, I'd be a lot more confident taking Pete Alonso. I think that he's still a great player. The power is legit. He can be a 40, 50 home run guy for the next five, seven years. No problem. Um, but he's like a three and a half category kind of player. The batting average could get, could it get higher? It could, but you know, his style of swinging, it leads to, it'll probably lead to like a 250 to 270 kind of career number. It's not going to be one of those elite like Goldschmidt, like Freeman in that 317, 320, 300 kind of range. It won't be. Still be great, but a lot of the production will come from runs, <clears throat> homers, and RBIs. So you got to take that. You got to understand what you're getting uh, when you draft Pete Alonso and make sure that you make up for steals and probably average at another point in the draft. Let's now keep it going with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He was our fourth ranked first baseman this season and the 26th ranked player as a whole. I know he was viewed as a disappointment a lot of the time, but I mean, the 26th ranked player is really not that bad. I know his ADP was very high on Yahoo, 3.7. On the NFBC, it was five. A consensus across wherever you were drafted, Vlad was going in the top five. So maybe you're disappointed with 26. It's very hard to reach that first round of value if you're getting a guy who's providing inside the top two rounds with your first round pick. It's not too bad. And when you look at his numbers for the season, 
90 runs, 32 homers, 97 RBIs, 8 steals, and a 274 batting average. Now, some people will come at you and say something along the lines of, this is essentially what Christian Walker did this season. Why would I spend a high draft pick on Vladimir Guerrero? You know, this was like Christian Walker, CJ Crone, uh, Reese Hoskins kind of production. Why would I spend it on Vladimir Guerrero? The dude's still 23. He is in a lineup that, despite everybody having a down season in the Blue Jays lineup, there was not one. There was not one player. Maybe Alejandro Kirk, and he and he tailed off like significantly down the stretch. He's about the only guy where you could say that he had any kind of significant uh, career year, quote unquote. Everybody, pretty much every single player on the Blue Jays disappointed offensively. Bobachet until the last month was a disappointment. Guerrero was a disappointment for the most part. Teoscar Hernandez was a disappointment. Lourdes Gurriel, despite having a high batting average, forgot how to hit home runs. George Springer, he was about what you expected. Maybe not a disappointment, but nothing great, really. It was pretty average, George Springer. And still, this team was tied for fourth in the majors in runs, first in hits, first in average, third in on base, third in slugging, second in OPS, and seventh in home runs. An elite offense, an absolutely elite offense, despite everybody underperforming. You have to think that next year we'll probably see another step forward from Vlad. And maybe he won't step forward to beyond what we saw in 2021. That was probably close to the peak. But then again, he was like 22 years old last season. So if he does this again next season where he hits 48 homers, drives in 120, or drives in 110, scores 120, I mean, I'm not worried about him. And I'm really not worried about him because next year we're going to get a discount on him. He was a top five pick this year. He's not going to be a top five pick next season. I'd be surprised if he even goes in the first round next season. Some guys, you know, maybe maybe end of the first round, maybe middle, between the end of the first round to the middle of the second round, I think probably is fairly reasonable for Vlad. The stolen bases, maybe they stay. I think they probably will. He's just very aggressive and he likes to steal. I don't think that he's getting signaled from the dugout to steal. He just likes to do it. I think he could steal eight or ten bases again. 30 home runs and 100 RBIs in a, in a down year. Well, batting 274. I mean, the dude is a stud. Uh, as disappointing as this playoff series was, uh, would have liked some more clutch hits perhaps. The dude is elite. He is 23 years old. He, like, he is still two years younger than Aaron Judge was when he even came in the league. Judge was 25 years old when he debuted. Guerrero is still 23. Still a long way to go for him. And next year, you're going to get him cheaper than... Maybe it'll be the cheapest that we see him other than what he was last year, which was about 45 50 heading into last season. This year coming up might be the last year where we get any kind of discount with Vlad because, you know, he's perceived to have disappointed. And it's, it's a fair perception, I suppose. But at the same time, he didn't really. Maybe if you're, if you're saying at ADP he, he disappointed, uh, I, I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, he, he didn't. So... Next season, I'm not going to be worried. I would expect him to fully turn it around. Bo Bichette, you know, he had a lot of weird shit going on. They didn't really talk about it much this year. But his brother gave some interview or something like that, talking about how their dad was abusive or some, something like that. And it was not really talked about with Rodgers and Sportsnet on Blue Jays broadcast because, you know, Dante Bichette was a Rodgers employee. They don't really want to air dirty laundry. They don't usually do that, uh, Sportsnet in particular, when something like that happens. But it was something that I think affected Bo, and down the stretch, he seemed to figure it out. I, I think that these guys are really going to come out firing next season, and <clears throat> we shouldn't really worry about drafting Vlad in the second round. I think it's a steal. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Let's say he gets drafted at pick 20. 
you get him late in the second round after having picked an early stud, probably batter in the first round. Like you can pair him probably with a Julio or an Acuna or something like that. That is a dangerous, dangerous one-two punch. I'm all in on Vladimir Guerrero, especially considering he's probably going to drop at least 12 picks from where he was last season. Very, very interested there. Now, the next couple of guys on this ranking list, I'm going to skip over them because they primarily play another position. Austin Riley is the next guy here. He has first and third eligibility, but he is more of a third baseman. Kyle Schwarber, he's the next guy after that. I don't want to talk about Kyle Schwarber with the first baseman. I'd rather group him in with our outfielders. And then JT Realmuto, catcher and first base. We already went over JT Realmuto in quite a bit of depth. We talked about JT Realmuto quite a lot because he's probably the best catcher in baseball and fantasy for sure. Uh, he's probably the best catcher. So we talked about him quite a bit. Uh, no need to go into him again. Schwarber, we'll get at him in the outfield. Riley with third baseman. But in terms of our first baseman, the next guy in terms of value for the season, and it's kind of surprising probably to most, it was Nate Lau, Nathaniel Lau, I guess. Or is it Lowe? God, I'm not sure now. I've really butchered that. Nathaniel Lowe, Lau, first baseman for the Texas Rangers. The dude was incredible this whole season. Uh, 74 runs, 27 homers, 76 RBIs, two steals, and a 302 batting average. That was the real kicker for me is that he batted 302. Was not expecting that at all from Nathaniel Lau. It was a great season from him. And he finished as the 59th ranked player overall this season. That is just incredible for Nathaniel Lau. Now, in terms of his ADP, he was not going very high. Like, I have to go very far down the list here on Yahoo to even find it. 252 was his ADP on Yahoo. The only first baseman who was being drafted any lower was Will Myers. And it was like 252.3, 252.4 kind of thing. Like, he was he was pretty much the, the last guy being drafted for first base there. And the NFBC, 241. Same kind of range. And, man, like, he was one of the best value picks all season. I mean, there's different ways you can look at value picks. Like, Paul Goldschmidt was a fantastic value from the fourth round, providing top three. But Nathaniel Lau, from 250 ADP into the top 60 there with a 300 batting average, close to 30 home runs. Uh, it's, it's really incredible what he was able to do. Now, next season, he's obviously not going to be drafted that low. Uh, get it? Low. But I think, you know, it doesn't really matter. You're going to get him probably in the 100 somewhere. I don't think people will be necessarily expecting a repeat performance of 300 with 20-some-odd home runs. Maybe they will be, but I think that he'll still be probably one of the more, and maybe discounted isn't even the right word, but just like a relative discount to the production that he puts up for you. Last season, he was not bad either. 18 homers, 72 RBIs, 8 steals last season. He batted 264. So, you know, maybe he's somewhere between a 264 and a 302 hitter. Maybe he's a 280 hitter with 20 home runs. You know, the RBIs are what they are because you can't even predict those really. Let's say 75 RBIs and he steals five bases for you. I think you can probably get him somewhere in the hundreds. Not to mention that Rangers lineup is going to be pretty damn good. You know, Semyon, Seager, Adolis Garcia, Josh Young. It's not a bad lineup at all. Uh, Lau is just, um, excuse me, Lau is like the cherry on top there. I think that he can provide really, really good value from a mid-round pick. I mean, he was batting second or third most of the season this year. He's going to get counting stats. The steals, you know, <clears throat> I don't expect a lot of steals, but can he get a few? Yeah, he can get a few for you. Not going to cost a lot. And, you know, I wouldn't expect this exactly next season. But in terms of the value he's going to provide from his draft slot, he'd be somebody that I'd be very interested in. I'd have him in all my cues uh, heading into next season, depending, obviously, on 
things that happened in the offseason. But as of right now, I really like him. First base is a very deep position. We've mentioned this a lot. If you want to wait, if you want to take care of other positions first, a guy like Lau will probably be waiting there for you. I mean, depending on league size, round 10, round 11, uh, he should still be there. Along with a lot of other guys who are going well below him, first base is very, very deep. And that's why, as much as I like these early round guys, you can, you can definitely wait. Of all the positions to wait on, first base, shortstop, there are very deep uh, positions. It's not like catcher where you know you get one of the elite guys or you speculate on a lower round guy who you're hoping for. First base, there are you know, 15, 20 guys where you know you're getting good production. Whether it's great production, elite production, or just you know good production, you're getting value from a lot of different first basemen. Nate Lau should be one of those guys. Even if you wanted to wait even longer, though, there'll be a lot more guys we go into. The next guy on this list, kind of interestingly that he was this low, uh, was Matt Olson. He was the 64th ranked player for the season. Now, the numbers were still good. 86 home, or excuse me, 86 runs, 34 homers, 103 RBIs, zero steals. And this is where, you know, the, the, the ball comes from his value is that he had a 240 batting average compared to 271 last season. He didn't steal any bases, fell off by five home runs, fell off by 15 runs, and fell off by eight RBIs. Now, in terms of where he's being drafted, Matt Olson was one of the top first basemen off the board, 39 over on NFBC and over on Yahoo. Uh, I'm on the second page here because I was looking for Lau. Uh, 29. Well, 29.8, so let's call it 30. So between 30 and 40 there is where he was being drafted. I think he might even fall a little bit next season, and if he does, he'd be somebody that, you know, uh, you know, throw out everything I just said about first baseman. He'd be somebody, if he's going in the 50s or 60s, I'd probably jump on. Like, that lineup is so elite. You get a little bit of a bounce back with average next season, and then you don't really have to worry at all. Even with 240, I think that was about league average this year, so it didn't really kill you that much. 34 homers, 103 ribbies. It's great stuff. Uh, it's obviously fantastic for Matt Olson. That lineup is about to secure that team. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos, they signed Spencer Strider last night. That team is looking so good. They got so many team-friendly deals over these next five, seven years. And some people are actually saying that they have some money to give out a two-, three-year contract this offseason before you know Harris and Strider really hit the books for big numbers uh, and other guys. I can't even remember all the guys they've signed to these, these team-friendly contracts. But they might have room to even bring in another asset offensively. Maybe it's a pitcher they bring in. But they could bring in somebody else and make that lineup even better. So I'm not worried about him having value. The batting average being at 240 kind of sucked. It's not something that I would have expected heading into the season. I thought he was probably going to be trending a little bit upwards in terms of his batting average. I thought we could possibly see like a 300 year from him oh, the last couple seasons, um, 271, 267. It, I'm throwing out the lockout year there where he was brutal, 195. I, you know, the lockout year was hard to really judge anybody. For the career, he's the 250 hitter, so maybe I'm crazy to have expected more of a jump. But I thought after last season, going to Atlanta – being in that lineup, he would take you know even more of a jump. Maybe he stays in that 250, 270 range. Even if he does that, while well, giving you 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, I, I really like Matt Olson. Now, like I said, if, if he's going and pick 60, 55, 60, absolutely I'm going to have him on you know a lot of teams. If he's going where he went last year, 30 to 40, yeah, you know we talked about that range already. If you're going to grab a first baseman in the third round next year, for me it'll be Goldschmidt. It'll be Pete Alonso. It will not be Matt Olson, I don't think. Uh, if it's that high, anyway. I still like the dude, but I don't know that I would take him quite necessarily that high. Now, he did have a nice last couple weeks of the season. Uh, he had six home runs over his last 32 at-bats. Very good stuff. 
carrying that over in the next season, who knows exactly. Uh, you can't really predict that kind of thing, end of the season. Now, second half trends tend to carry over more so into next season as opposed to just the whole season as um, the whole season of value. So maybe he does keep that going a little bit over the last month as a whole. It wasn't that great, but over these last two weeks, uh, 12 of 32, nine runs, six homers. I'd like to see a couple of steals from him, which I'm not sure we're really going to see from Matt Olson. Never been a big steal guy, you know, two, one, four in, in those last three seasons. Nothing really great. You'd still like to see one or two because one or two is not zero. It just adds on value. Not the end of the world, though, with Matt Olson. Uh, you know, just to conclude, I'll take him in round five or round six. But if it's round three, round four, I think he'd still probably be roughly in that range. But I think there's some safer picks to take around there as well. Let's do one more first baseman for today, and then we'll pick this up. We'll probably end up doing three or four shows on first baseman. Honestly, like I could spend a whole week on it. The position is just so deep. But I think we'll just do one more for today. That'll be Christian Walker. Christian Walker was my hero down the stretch here because, one, I had him on two teams. I won two championships this season in fantasy, and he was on both of those teams. Actually, he and Dalton Varsho were on both of those teams, so maybe I need to invest in more Diamondbacks next season. But Christian Walker... 36 home runs, 94 RBIs, a 242 average. He scored 84 runs, and he stole two bases. I was so happy to pick up Christian Walker off of free agency. He was being drafted very low. Like, God, he's another guy where you have to really, like, dig for his ADP. He's not somebody that just, like, stood out to you this last season because he wasn't really being drafted. And, God, I'm trying to find it here for Yahoo. I'm not even sure that he had one for Yahoo. I don't, I don't think that he had a Yahoo ADP. That's how low he was going. I mean, last season, 10 homers, 46 RBIs. At a deep, posi- at a deep uh, first base, I can understand that. Yeah, it's, it's actually crazy to me, but no ADP. He, there was guys who were being drafted like, you know, Lamont Wade, Hunter Dozier, um, Mike Moustakis, Aledmus Diaz, and you didn't see Christian Walker. Now, I'm curious over on the NFBC. I'm sure he was being drafted over here. Um, 4.95. 4.95 was his ADP on the NFBC. <clears throat> he was free this year. He was pretty much free, whether you picked him up or you drafted him really late in a draft and hold or whatever. Another guy who was one of the best values across fantasy this season. 36 homers, 94 RBIs. That is incredible. Now, next season, I think that he could probably give you something similar. Uh, I really like what he does power-wise, obviously, and he did something similar in 2019 when he had 29 homers, drove in 73, and he batted 259. Last two seasons were really not good, and or before this year, I mean, the lockout-shortened year was not great for him. Um, it wasn't terrible, but not great. Uh, and then 2021 was really not a good season for him. Uh, OPS below 700. He, he was not great. I can understand why he wasn't really being drafted that much. But heading into next year, he'll be a guy who I'll be pretty interested in as well. That lineup, I really like what the Diamondbacks have done. Their outfield is going to be fantastic for years to come. Cattell Marte, not sure what's going to happen with him. But Varsho, um, you know, I'm especially excited about Corbin Carroll to see what he can do with a full season in the majors. And I think that lineup is actually really good. I think that maybe they don't look very good right now, but there were points this season where we saw them really go off. There was a couple of stretches where they were excellent. Now, if I'm just looking at where they ranked in terms of their offensive stats this season, they weren't that great. But I think it's kind of deceiving. You know, they were 14th in runs, 27th in hits, 26th in average, 23rd in on base, 14th in home runs, which is definitely Christian Walker contributed to that one. 
But I think they'll be a lot better next season, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Pitching, who knows with them what's going to happen. <clears throat> Merrill Kelly was kind of a miracle this year. Bumgarner was okay for parts of the year. Zach Allen was their hero for a while. He'll be the hero again next year, I'm sure. Uh, but I expect better things from the team as a whole. And I think Christian Walker could probably be another guy who's fairly low value or low value, uh, low risk in terms of where you're being drafted next season. I think he'll be in that same kind of Nathaniel low range, probably even lower in that 100 to 150 kind of range. He's not going to give you a hell of a lot of uh, steals and batting average, but he can give you power. He can give you runs. He can give you RBIs. He's essentially a cheaper version of Pete Alonso. He's going to cost you probably somewhere 100 picks behind, and the, the value won't be the same. But for where you're drafting him, you know, would you rather spend a third round pick on a top 10 player or spend, you know, your last pick on a top 70 player? I'll do my last pick on a top 70 player every day of the week. I know you can't really forecast year to year what the value is going to be specifically, but he can be a 30 home run, 90 RBI kind of guy. I'm going to be drafting him, hoping for that. Not too high if he pushes up above pick 150 or so. Maybe 120, 130 would be about as, <clears throat> excuse me, probably be about as high as I would take Christian Walker next season. If he's pushing up any higher than that, then you might as well just go and get yourself either one of the elite guys or just wait and wait and wait and then maybe get yourself, you know, bet on a Max Muncy next season or a Trey Mancini or, you know, maybe Joey Manessis will be the guy that you, you put your money, uh, you put your money on next season. Isak Paredes, Jesus Aguilar, you know, we keep going down these lists. There's, they're not you know, the most confident names down the bottom of the list, but there are options. You know, if you get to catcher, you're talking about the 30th, 40th catcher, they're not even going to play. At least with the 30th, 40th first baseman, they're still probably going to get some playing time, especially considering dual eligibility stuff. Uh, you can wait on first base a little bit, and it doesn't kill you. That's going to do it for me today, though. We'll pick this up again tomorrow, and we will start, I think, with CJ Crone. He'll be the next guy. I'll, I'll leave Brandon Drury for the second base video, I think. He could fit in really Anywhere in the infield in terms of uh, in terms of these videos, but I think we'll leave him for second base. We'll pick up a CJ Crone tomorrow and continue onwards with Jose Abreu, Reese Hoskins, Luis Arise, uh, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Ty France. I'm not sure where we'll, we'll eh, maybe we'll put him in first base. Jay Cronenworth. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out these these guys who have multiple positions later on. Not bored you guys with the details, but appreciate you guys continuing to check out the show. I really appreciate you guys who subscribe and download and rate and do all those great things. Helps us to be seen by more people into the offseason. We're definitely not getting seen by as many people as we were during the year. It's expected. People lose interest in baseball or they're focusing on their playoffs, actual baseball playoffs, not fantasy anymore. So they've kind of tuned out fantasy podcasts. I understand it completely. I've kind of done it myself a little bit. I'm not listening to as many podcasts right now. I'm more getting into basketball and football. I'm going to be producing basketball content for Sports Ethos this year as well. I don't know if you guys have seen me doing a little bit of stuff on Twitter, uh, some ADP fades and uh, guys that I'm targeting there or targeting ahead of their ADPs, just different basketball threads mostly focused on ADP for Yahoo. We're going to do an ESPN one later in the week probably. Uh, yeah, but there'll be basketball stuff for me as well. So make sure you're following on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB, at Ethos Fantasy BK for basketball. Basketball feed is really, really top-notch. We have people who are constantly on shift, keeping track of the news. They post out these updates as soon as they're happening. Right now with preseason, it's a very important time to be following those updates. Let's say, you know, a guy that you're thinking about drafting, your draft's tomorrow, a guy you're thinking about drafting, goes out with an ankle injury, it's not looking good. You want to know about those kind of things instead of just, you know, getting into your draft. You see, like, a questionable sign beside the guy, and you think, okay, he's probably, you know, you don't really have the time when you're on the clock to make these decisions, right? 
It's your pick. He's questionable. I want him. I have 30 seconds. You know, we'll just take him and bite on him, and we'll, we'll worry about it later. Then you check in. He's going to miss four to six weeks or whatever it is. Not everybody is so active, so it happens. It does happen. Uh, it happened to me a couple times throughout the season, <clears throat> not even in baseball. It more happened football stuff. Uh, you draft a guy, and I don't know the NFL as well as I know Major League Baseball and the NBA. Maybe you draft somebody, they get hurt, you don't even realize it, or they get hurt right before you draft them. Follow Ethos Fantasy BK. They got all the updates, constant blurb feed going on there. And go ahead and check out sportsethos.com. Get yourself a fantasy pass. I believe the Brewski 150 is now in all of our passes, so please do go check that out. There is literally like wagering, there's DFS, there's fantasy. There's pretty much everything you can think of uh, on our website in terms of sports. So we even got hockey coming up now. I don't know how many people are interested in hockey, but shout out to Blake. We got a hockey podcast going on now as well. And it's an exciting time here at Sports Ethos. So please do send me a DM if you're interested in coming aboard the team, specifically for baseball. I'm handling baseball stuff. If it's basketball, Dan Basper. I mean, if you want to shoot, shoot me a message for basketball too, I'll get you in touch with the right people. But specifically... We're looking for baseball writers. We're looking for baseball podcasters, analysts, anybody who wants to enter into the baseball, fantasy baseball world. Please do send me a message at JoeOrico99. We are actively hiring here at Sports Ethos. Off-season articles, heading into next season as well. Uh, a lot of great stuff going on here. So, guys, I'll leave you there. I hope you enjoyed the playoffs over this last weekend. I know I didn't, but maybe you guys did. Hopefully your team's moved on. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk about some more first basemen. We'll kick it off with CJ Crone, and we'll keep going from there. Guys. Take care, best of luck, and cheers.